Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special kind of one-off recording of The Ice Garden with uh, some special guests joining me. This is Mike Murphy. Um, some things happened um, in the women's hockey space that um, I heard Shell Pounder describe it as like maybe the most impactful day in women's hockey since Nagano, the 1998 Olympics. Um, and it feels about right. It's pretty big. Um, just in light of everything. But before we get into all that, I'm joined by two folks. First, Anne, who are you? Hi, my name is Anne Tokarski. Um, I'm a person, I guess, first and foremost, a woman's <laughs> hockey enjoyer, first and foremost, I like to call myself. Um, currently, or I guess currently, I'm not really doing anything in particular. But in the past, I had the pleasure and the opportunity to write for the Ice Garden and do some social media content. I have also worked part-time with the Connecticut Whale, and just this past season, I was the communications intern for ECAC Hockey as I finished up my undergraduate degree. Wow. Very fancy. Fancy, Anne. I'm very happy to have (laughs) Anne join us. Also joined by current TIG staffer, Meredith Foster. Meredith, say hello. Hello. That came off weird, but hello. So Um, Meredith is one of our editors and a writer with a uh, real, real deep knowledge of the European women's hockey landscape, but has also been a part of TIG since the word go. One of those people like me who's just kind of hung around forever. Um, yeah. Which gives value pers- perspective, I think, Mayor, to where we are today, especially with your knowledge of what pro women's hockey looked like in Europe. I hope so. Um my knowledge base, like you said, is a bit different than a lot of people's. Um, my interest has always been on the Nordic side of the game, particularly Finland and Sweden. And so it's been really interesting to me to see the way that that landscape has changed since TIG's inception and since um, the... God, man, since really since the NWHL started, the way that the ripple effect translated into um, into Nordic hockey as well as um, the North American landscape, yeah. But like Mike said, I've been at TIG since 2016, since it started. Um, I primarily edit, but I write when the urge strikes, which seems to be happening more and more lately. And there's a lot of writing to do right now. Um, so the big news, of course, is the PHF is no more. Uh, the league that kind of, in many ways, kind of was the catalyst for the ice garden getting off the ground under Hannah um, was bought out by the Mark Walter group and Billie Jean King enterprises, which is the ownership group attached to the PWHPA and what will be their professional league, um, which as far as we know, will be, you know, the PWHL professional women's hockey league. Uh, this of course was a huge day. It's the one league that we've heard and rolled our eyes about so much, really, for the past several years. But more importantly, I think, is how we got to one league. And um, the way we got to one league is pretty clunky and in many ways very unfortunate. Allie Morse, former uh, Minnesota Whitecap, but still very much a part of that community and even just saying Minnesota Whitecap right now feels strange because that franchise might be over, which is quite a thing. Um, I think she summed it up really well. She's, she wishes she could join us tonight, but 
her thoughts are one league yay but sucky approach and that's <laughs> i mean it sums it up um and how do you feel about where we are right now i think where we are right now is a very interesting place to be i mean i think you could say at any point in the last several years that we have been at a crossroads and it feels almost like you know like we've gotten to that crossroads and we're halfway through the intersection and we're we're maybe we're maybe to the other side of the other side of the street but i don't know if we're you know all the way there yet and i think it's it's an interesting place to be it's an emotional it's a poignant place to be it's a place i didn't think we were going to be for a really long time and I could probably extend this traffic metaphor for several more minutes, at least dozens <laughs> of more seconds. That would make everyone violently uncomfortable. Um, but I think we're I think we're just at a spot that a lot of people didn't see coming so soon. And I think getting blindsided and you know having that that eighteen wheeler uh, truck with several million dollars attached to it come up in our blind spot really. Um, really did take a lot of people by surprise. A lot of people who, you know, maybe shouldn't have been taken by surprise by news of this magnitude, who should have, you know, had everything explained to them before other people like the public found out. Um, that's kind of really where I'm at. You know, I think I agree with Ali's sentiment is really where I'm at. Yeah. I think that's where a lot of folks are at. Mayor, how are you feeling about all this? What's your What's your primary feeling right now? My primary feeling right now is a lot of questions. Um, it's been a very interesting 48 hours since this news broke. Um, and my, like Anne said, the way that it, the way that it broke and the, the way that people found out is something that I keep coming back to. And it reminds me of a bit of when the CWHL folded in 2019 of how many people were blindsided by that announcement and how many people found themselves blindsided again four years later. And I would have hoped that that experience would have been a learning experience. But this seems to be an issue that we see across the sport again and again and again. And that mistakes seem to... People don't seem to necessarily learn from their mistakes and learn from their errors in order to do better the next time that something happens. And... The word that I, I wrote a column about this yesterday for the Ice Garden, actually, and the word that I keep coming back to is respect. And the way that this was handled for the players, both on the PHF side and on the PW side, where was the respect for these people that they found out at the same time the public did? That is my biggest, that is my biggest question. And that the, I don't know that I have the right to feel anger about this because it's not my life that's being so deeply impacted. But the lack of respect twinges at me a lot. And that's where my brain keeps going. I think it's a pretty reasonable place to be. I think, and you use the word blindsided. Um, I never thought this was the, uh, the way we were going to get there. Um, I was really like, I forget when it was, I think it was like PW year two where I was really embracing this idea of two leagues and how they could push each other and how the players will benefit, how even their PAs would 
say, no, we're going to offer this. And then they're going to say, oh, yeah, they, they offer that. We're going to offer one better. We're going to give you better health insurance. And then, you know, more guaranteed money in your contracts. And these leagues would push each other and push each other. And until eventually we would reach this zenith where we get to the one league. And all along the way, we have two different sources of ideas. And there's healthy competition and players benefit. And what we have now feels a lot like the PHF proved a lot of things. I feel like it's maybe being overlooked right now by some folks that there was exceptional hockey. There were some outstanding people in front offices. Um, you know, I know the, the claims of, of bankruptcy have been challenged and all that, but that to me is maybe the most infuriating thing that after the Danny Ryland Kearney experience with, with, you know, cut slashing salaries and overextending, my first thought was this cannot be this again. We cannot have done this again. Kind of like to your point, Mayor, of how do we not learn lessons, right? Why, why did you double the salary cap? You know, why, why are we seeing six figure contracts if, if it's a lemonade stand and not a real, and not a real business. And, um, that's where I am right now is this kind of mix of disbelief and, um, and surprise because, you know, I, I would like to think I have a decent idea of what's going on. I had no idea this was coming. Um, I heard inklings about it the day of, and I was driving home from work and I'm like, ah, it's going to be fine. It's probably just one more little thing. Nope. Uh, turns out that was not the case. Um, it kind of leads me to what I want to discuss next, which is we know all of us know personally players and staff members who you know, just don't have a job now. Um, you know, there are players who put blood, sweat, and tears into getting paid a living wage, and they were finally getting a living wage, and that just disappeared. Um, there's players just out of college, starting a pro career, making real money, and all that just disappeared. They have to prove themselves and negotiate contracts all over again, and we have half as many places to play pro as we thought we did. So it's crazy. Um, but to go back to sharing the microphone a little bit here, and I want to talk about the difference between what we want to see and what we need to see in this next league. And I think maybe we should start with the needs. Like, what do we absolutely need to see? Can you give us an idea of what pro women's hockey needs in this new league? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think one of the biggest things that stood out to me about what we need to see is something that, you know, the PWHPA has been focusing on for a really long time. And that is a formal union with a collective bargaining agreement. I think I've seen it mentioned in all of the discussion lately that, you know, the CBA that they are bargaining for is to ensure that something like this doesn't happen, that it doesn't happen in the future to all of the other players who, you know, are signing signing contracts and moving cities, moving states, moving countries, and that, you know, that you just want to ensure that this doesn't happen to anyone else after you, excuse me. Um, and I think that's, it almost feels bittersweet in a way that, you know, fighting for that ultimately also simultaneously occurred with you know, the very thing they're fighting to make sure won't happen occurred simultaneously as, you know, that thing happened. Um, 
obviously players really had the rug pulled out from under them. And that's something you never want to see happen to anyone, whether it's players, it's staff members, it's coaches, it's coaching staff. Um, I think really the impact of that can't be understated. Um, and so I think a collective bargaining agreement for players, um, for as many people as can get under that umbrella, I think is so important because it ensures that something like this won't happen again, that people will be taken care of and thought of as, you know, people first before they're just assets on a hockey team. Mayor, what do we need in the new league? I would agree with Anne. I think a CBA and a formal legal union is critical. And I also think that it needs to be a CBA with some real power and some real, some real impact. Um, Not to bring up the men's game, but one of the things that we hear so much is that the NHL players union is toothless in a lot of ways. And the, the new women's league, their union, their CBA cannot afford to be toothless or else what progress are we going to make? One of the things that I have heard and I've seen floating around on the internet, and I don't know that this is verified, but one of the biggest issues has been um, around the at will nature of contracts of player contracts and whether or not um, teams will be able to cancel them. And one of the things I saw reported, and again, I don't know the validity of it yet, there's, because there's just so much we don't know currently, is that in this new league, that if a team decides a player isn't living up to the deals of their of their contract, that they'll be able to cancel that. That can't be allowed under this new CBA. That is a terrible thing to hold over, to hold over a player's head um, and so I think moving forward, they need to be, they need to be stringent. They need to be labor centric. They need to be player centric and they need to, I would say, seek advice from labor ex labor experts in order to um, ensure that their CBA is as ironclad and as, as powerful as it can be to keep that all in the player's hands. And another thing I think they need, to, they need to focus on is the human rights aspect of the league. One of the big things that we have seen that is confirmed over the past couple of weeks, even before these, even before any of this news broke, was the transphobia of the Lambert twins. And I believe it's Jocelyn, correct me if I'm wrong, who has a position of power on the PW board, yeah. supporting, openly supporting openly transphobic organizations. And that needs to be dealt with immediately. They need to know how they want to I hate to use the word deal when I speak about trans people because trans people are people and deal. I don't want to say deal like they're an issue. They're not. They deserve every single thing that a cis player should get. And so that's something that I believe really needs to be dealt with immediately in terms of respect and equality and equity that trans players deserve. And you wanted to chime in? Yeah, I also think there's, you know, there's the element of when we look at men's hockey and the major men's hockey league right now in the NHL, what what is stopping a player who is contracted at will? What if what if their ownership doesn't agree with something they post on social media in support of you know a marginalized group? What happens if a player is dealing with mental illness or struggling with their mental health or even struggling with their physical health and you know maybe not performing the way that they apparently agreed to in this contract. Um, I think that's something that players, when they are trying to perform to the best of their athletic ability and the best of their physical ability, 
there are things that impact that. There are things outside of the immediate tangible, you know, a muscle cramp affects your ability to perform, but so does cyberbullying, so does harassment. And we've we've seen all of this in women's hockey already. And I think the thought of, well, you know, they're not performing on the ice. So immediately they shouldn't be on this team anymore. They're not living up to what we, to their agreed upon performance, I think just that entire train of thought, I think we get into so much that could be so scary and so overwhelming for even fans just, you know, watching that. And then when you couple that with the fact that this person, like these players are making money and if, you know, you can't arbitrarily judge performance, um, I think, and have that be tied to contracts in the way that you know, some people are discussing online. And I mean, the truth of the matter is that we don't know. We don't know the nature mm. of these what these contracts are going to look like. But I think we need something. We need some sort of protection. And I mean, I know that's what a CBA is for, but there are just, there are things that have been discussed online that scare me. And if they're scaring me, I can't imagine how, you know, players are people just like we are. They log on to the internet and they look at things on Twitter, on Instagram, on TikTok. And I, I just I can't imagine seeing some of the things that are being said and not having any clarification on it. Um, and this isn't me trying to like perpetuate misinformation or spread misinformation. It's just me being honestly like this. These are some of the things that scare me. And I think these are some of the things that, you know, hopefully sooner rather than later get addressed and get discussed and get negotiated by the powers that be. Um, but also with ample representation from the players and what the players want and need and feel like they deserve. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I think it's re- there's a reason it's 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 kind of a scary time. With right now, we have so much uncertainty, um, and you know, we I've seen you know saw Renata Faust on in an interview with Cheryl Pounder, and it was you know it was all positivity, and I understand why it's this optimism now and it's positivity. And I know some folks had like a really strong reaction to players in the PHF who have kind of said like, okay, let's go one league. We were there. And, you know, some folks might not understand, like, why is that your perspective? I think it's reached this point now where this is it. No one expected us to get here this way, but this is pro women's hockey right now. And, um, I cannot imagine what the players and staff members are going through, what, you know, those season ticket holder fans who are there every game, bringing their family, meeting friends for life, meeting people they, they love. And, uh, you know, those games are over. And that's really hard to, to process and to, to come to terms with. And it's hard to see this optimism for what comes next when the thing you love just got taken away from you in such an unfair way. And that's why my, my big thing kind of ties into what both of you were talking about from what I need to see from the next league is accountability and transparency. Um, there's more money than ever with this ownership group behind women's hockey. And, you know, it is not lost on me that we have this issue of, of, a board member who has demonstrated being transphobic, especially 
in terms of trans people and their place in sports. And um, I want accountability. I want it right away. And I want that to be something that this Players Association and the soon-to-be league takes deadly seriously, especially in the light of the NHL backing away from, you know, special jerseys and therefore, you know, pride jerseys. Like, I want this to be better. It has to be better. And that's why I need it to be better. Um, To go off of that from the wanting to see things, we'll start with you this time, Mayor, is what do you think we want to see? That's a really interesting question, I think, because I come at it from two different angles. I come at it from what I want to see as a journalist and I come to, and I come to it as what would I want to see if I was still a fan in the traditional sense as a journalist, going back to your point, I want to see accountability and I want to see transparency. And I think those two things are, I think those two things are critical, not only for the growth of this new league, but for the growth of the sport worldwide. Um, We've made a lot of progress in terms of transparency, especially in the past year or so regard you know around salaries that's been a huge thing that goes into keeping the power in the players hands where it belongs and i really want to see i really want to see that continue um as a what would i want to see as a fan there's a there's a sense of there's a sense of a loss of trust right now i think for a lot of people because of the way that this news was handled and the way that it's been delivered Mm. not only to the players but to the public and i don't know how this league would go about regaining that but i would want to see some genuine efforts as far as repairing that relationship with the fans i think that's going to be that's going to be critical for this league's success regardless of as you mentioned there is a lot there's more money floating around the sport than there's ever been but that money needs the people that control that money are going to want to see returns on their investments in order to keep this thing going. And so I do, I want to see this. I want to see this league take steps to heal the rifts that have emerged in the past couple of days. We're not going to break your hearts again. <laughs> we we kind of need, we need, I mean, that's what the PW is about, the sustainable model. And, um, you're saying you're sustainable? Okay, prove it. Yeah. That's what I want to see. Prove it. Yeah, that's my. That was always my thing of what does that look like? You know, is that how many investors can we round up before the products on the ice, as opposed to building and you know sponsors and investors with a product? Um, you know, and the thing that I know, Ann and Mayor, feel free to throw rotten uh, tomatoes and things at me. I don't want the NHL's involvement, but. If they don't get involved now, they never, ever, ever will. I don't want um, the NHL's involvement either, if I'm honest. That's the opposite I of want... throwing tomatoes. <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, doing, I'm doing whatever. I'm cheering. I'm cheering. Woo. Okay. You're, to- uh, you're, tossing, you're tossing fresh organic produce. That's what you're doing. Yeah. Gently just, lobbing yeah. it. Uncooked I'm gently lobbing Yeah, that's what Seems I was going harmless. Say. Probably would be fun to throw. Um, I don't know. It's, it's this thing of... You know, is it the is it going to be something that transitions into what the WNBA model is? And it doesn't need to be that to be successful. And we don't need the NHL to be successful. 
But I've always said this. If there's no strings attached and Gary Bettman is nowhere near it and they just bring over a wheelbarrow of money, bring over the wheelbarrow. Let's do it. That I could support. Yeah. My biggest concern with the NHL comes down to the diversity of the women's hockey community and how this how the NA, the NHL want, whether they like it or not, they are perceived as a white male institution. Well, that is how they are perceived. That is the way that they make a lot of their money is by subtly and not so subtly upholding that perception of being a white male institution. If they come into a league that is going to be full of LGBTQ plus people and hopefully full of people of color and people of various and myriad gender identities and they what are they going to do what how are they going to handle the diversity that they themselves don't foster that is my biggest concern that is my biggest concern with the nhl getting involved and that their involvement would involve strings around those things of just we're not gonna we're just not gonna mention that anymore in the way (laughs) that they seem to be and the way that they seem to be doing with their own their own product. I really don't want to see that. Um, and we know what you need to see. What do you want to see? I think, I mean, obviously, like a million gently lobbed fresh organic produce and Meredith for everything they said. I think, <laughs> I, I think, I think you make some really great points. I think there's, you know, there's so much that. I think women's hockey has the capability to do in terms of marketing and in terms of audience growth. Um, I mean, like, like you said, there women's hockey fans and the women's hockey community is so diverse and there are so many amazing people and communities represented within the fan base. Um, and I think seeing all those people represented, whether it's on the ice, on the coaching staff, behind the bench, in the front office, um, I think that's really important that you know, this new this new league and this new organization make sure that they do right by the community who will be supporting them. Um, I mean, obviously it's not, their success isn't contingent on that. And I think they know that it's not, um, yeah. but I think it'd be nice to see, you know, the people that have been putting in the work, I think it'd be nice to see them all respected and, you know, appreciated for the things that they have done, whether you're a fan, a journalist, a content creator, someone who's you know, been working for the PHF or been working for the PWHPA or been, you know, working to cover this sport in whatever capacity. I think it's important to remember that, you know, those people put in so much time and energy too. Um, so I agree with that point. All the all the fresh organic produce for that. Um, <laughs> but then also, I think one thing for me that would be really cool is, you know, kind of carrying off that point some way for you know, players who might not make rosters, uh, final rosters to still be involved, whether that's as some sort of taxi squad that still practices with the team, practice players. I mean, we've seen practice players in the PHF for a while. We've seen in the PWHPA, there will be players on, you know, regional hubs rosters who don't go to every secret Dream Gap tour stop, and but they still practice with the team. You know, they still they're still there in spirit. They still practice. They're still technically professional athletes, even if they don't play in every tournament, every weekend contest. Um, So I think some way to kind of keep developing the talent, I would say, and make sure that, you know, it's it's not going to be the same 120 players for the next 10 years. Um, 
I think that's something that's really important because I mean, just an observation from me, I think in terms of national teams, like not even, not even related to this discussion, but in terms of national teams, I think we've seen a lot of stasis on all those national teams. And it hasn't been until recently that, you know, more fresh faces have been brought in. Um, You know, I look at team Canada and I'm like, those players are just racking up the medal counts at this point. Like it's the same (laughs) and it it works, it works for them. Um, Just say Megan Mickelson's name. Yeah. No, I would never. Um, but there, you know, there are so many young players who just because like they know just because Team Canada knows what works. Um, there are players who, you know, I think Sophie Jake, she's an amazing defender, but Team Canada's defense is already so good that like they don't they don't need a seventh, eighth, ninth defender to take along with them to the world championship. So I think as long as, you know, this new league focuses on growing the game and growing you know, the different, the different skill sets and the different players and making sure that as many people as possible have the opportunity to keep playing and keep, keep improving, whether that's a practice player who cracks an active roster in a couple years or um, just, you know, someone, I, I want it to keep growing. I want it to keep going. I want it to keep moving forward. I don't want it to be that necessarily the same 120 faces every single year. Um, and I think that's what's, what's fun and exciting about this new this new era a little bit um specifically because we don't know where the teams are going to be we don't know what the salaries are going to be necessarily we don't know you know how an entry draft is going to work we don't know who's going to be eligible for an entry draft we don't there's so many things we don't know um obviously I think that's the entire point of us having this discussion mm-hmm. but I also think there's so many cool things there's so many cool opportunities um, to be taken advantage of. And those are just, just some of the things I have a lot of ideas. You guys can pay me to, to hear my <laughs> ideas. If anyone, if anyone out there wants to hear my ideas, my DMs are open. Um, I would hire yeah. for the new league. I would hire you. Um, yeah, thank you. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not employed full time. So if anyone, if anyone wants to get on that, <laughs> you know, I'm available. League TBD. And, uh, and as a good resume, you should take a look. Um, we will write her recommendation letters. Yeah. Um, I I will get I will solicit every single person in women's hockey for recommendation. <laughs> my I mean to build off of what Anne said, I uh, wasn't that long ago. I wrote an article about an idea for a developmental league for the PHF. Um, just go in there with some whiteout. If if folks remember whiteout. Um, uh, oh yes. And and change it. I mean. I think what Anne said was is really important is opportunity development. Um, you know, Erica Ayala, who has been who really did an outstanding job with this balanced summary she wrote for Forbes. Um, you know, helped outline like what voices from both sides were saying, how we got here, what this was, and I know she was doing a great job answering questions. One of the questions is why six teams and her answer was just the new ownership group is going to be conservative. They're going to build something like the idea is you don't want to overextend right away. And six is what they think is going to work. And maybe it's just that classic, well, there's the original six in the NHL. That's what we're going to do. And um, there's just, there's just going to be too many players who are, in my opinion, counted among the best in the world. There's more, there's 97 members of the PWHPA. 
those are not the 97 best players in the world. Um, they are very much among the very best players in the world. Like they're probably all together top 200 with the players in the PHF and the SDHL and the Nostin Liga, some elite players in Switzerland, you know, some elite players in the EWHL even. And of course, not even counting the, the up and coming stars in collegiate sports, the NCAA and U sports. We need a way where it's more than just, you know, the players on the six teams. I was, I was going over the numbers with, um, with a friend and I realized like that, yeah, there's going to be, you know, maybe six teams. Each team's going to have seven defenders. So 42 professional women's hockey defenders next season and between 12 and 18 goaltenders. Those numbers don't feel good because they're a step backwards from where we were. And um, we got to find a way for there to be something like a taxi squad, something like a, a way for them to play development games or development tournaments or a way for them to earn roster spots or a way for them to be attached to teams. There's got to be something that can be done because way too many players who were living the pro lifestyle just had it ripped away from them. And the game is better when you have more players playing at a high level. It's just a crucible that tests everyone. You're going to get the best players when you play against each other. And I hope we get expansion. I hope it's not rushed into, but if we don't have a team in Boston or a team in Minnesota, which might be the case, I just, I, it, I kind of, it's one of those things that this is the, what we want to see. I really need to see teams in those markets. I don't know how we don't have a team in Boston or a team in Minnesota when the white caps could easily have two really good rosters every year. Um, Mary, you wanted to say something. So just building on what you said about development, one of the, one of the interesting things to me about the game in Sweden and in Finland is you have the top tier women's leagues over there. So you have the SDHL in Sweden and you have the Nysen Liga in Finland, and then you have the leagues under them and they play on a promotion and relegation system. And while promotion and relegation does not have a foothold in North American sports, and frankly, I would love to see it get one. I think it would make things a lot more interesting in any major sport. Um, having those leagues underneath the two top leagues, I think could be really important for North American development. And in terms of getting more players, um, getting more players, the ability to continue their careers and to continue the development because that is also one of the biggest questions that Nordic hockey has seen over the past decade or so is how are we developing the next generation of our players? How are we fostering this? How are we nurturing it? And I think that's a question that this new league, hopefully in the years to come, I don't think they're at, they're definitely not at that place now. I mean, like Anne said, we don't even know where the teams are yet. This yeah. is the, this is the barest, barest infancy of all of this. But I think putting a developmental framework in place as the years go on would not only give more players a chance to continue their careers, but it will help them. It will help the next generations grow. And I think to me, that's a huge part of viability and sustainability is helping the game grow with the next generation. As much as I hate saying grow the game, especially about women's hockey, it's important and it needs to be thought of as they move forward. I mean, we see it at the, uh, the world championships, right? We yeah. Have relegation. Um, I want to, 
have a little bit of positive. It might be bittersweet, but, um, and what is your maybe favorite PHF memory or the memory that stands out the most to you? I feel like this is especially relevant to you having worked with teams and, you know, done interviews with players and done press releases for big players, all these things you've been able to do, writing a TIG, what PHF memory is going to linger with you the longest? I think, um, you know, the memory that I thought of when I first saw you were going to ask this question. Um, when I was in high school, I was a junior in high school. This was, I think it was 2017, 2018 school year. If maybe, I, I'm pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. Um, but I was sitting in my English class. I want to say it was like fourth or fifth period around lunchtime. And it was the day that I saw there was going to be um, a press conference, an announcement held in Minnesota. And I remember sitting in English and I was, I, I had seen that message or that, that announcement earlier in the day. And I was like, you know what? I think I know what it is. I mean, I know the Minnesota Whitecaps, they've, they've been operating independently for years now. Um, and, you know, I think this, I think this might be it. And I remember I was talking to like my little, my little table in English when the news broke and it was like 12, 15 central time or something. So perfect timing for that class. And I remember sitting there and, you know, they didn't have like the live press conference or the live announcement. And if they did, I couldn't watch it. I was in class. I was a junior in high school. Um, but I just, I remember seeing that in that moment when the PHF had their first, you know, kind of expansion, um, obviously absorbing a team that already existed and had existed for over a decade at that point. But, you know, seeing that was my first like grow the game moment. I, you know, I had just, I had just gotten into women's hockey with the 2018 Olympics. I was 16 years old and I was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I had just found out women played hockey. I was like my, like in my school, my suburb, hockey isn't super big in general. Um, and especially not women's hockey. I think we had maybe two players from my school go D3. Um, and honestly, I didn't even know that until I was like in college that they were playing, um, you know, at the D3 level. And I think just that moment was like one of the moments for me. Um, and then I think my next, my senior year of high school, I was sitting in my AP stats class after an exam and I was live tweeting the all-star draft selections with Shannon Zabados and Lee Steckline selecting their, their teams for that. I think it was the 2019 all-star game in Nashville. Um, and that was kind of my first moment where I felt like I was a part of this, you know, this family, this community of people who, you know, for some reason cared what I had to say, cared what I had to, cared what I thought about these players. And, you know, it's, I mean, I guess those are personal selfish favorite memories, but those are just two things that kind of those stood are out to me. wonderful memories though. There's I mean, nothing selfish about that. That's beautiful. That really it also beautiful. makes me feel so very old, but. Um, I wasn't going to mention that, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, I mean, yeah, that is, it's kind of beautiful, right? Um, very, it's kind of beautiful to think of those special moments and going from that place of like your voice registers with people, you found a community. And, um, I think everyone who knows the women's hockey community knows that Anne is one of those people we're lucky to have. Um, absolutely. Very grateful. To no, have I wouldn't it. go that far. We well, would. That's how I feel. <laughs> I'm um, about lucky. 
Mayor. Burdened. Burdened with my existence, perhaps. <laughs> we are burdened. <laughs> Happy birthday, by the way, Anne, because all this happened on Anne's birthday. We are are burdened with your glorious purpose, and we are better for it. Um, Uh, Okay, I'll I'll accept it, I guess. (laughs) Mayor, impactful, resonating, favorite PHF and WHL memory. What is it? I've got a couple, but the one that immediately springs to mind, and I know I'm going to get the year wrong, but I know it was the, I know it was, I believe it was the start of season two when Harrison Brown came out as trans that was such a remarkable moment because it was it was unprecedented he's the first ever professional athlete at least in hockey I don't know if at all but please don't quote me on this anyway Harrison Brown coming out as trans was really huge just seeing that and seeing the way that he was embraced for being for being himself and for standing up for who he is and saying, this is me, this is what I love to do, and I'm going to go out there and do it. And one of the very first articles, if not the actually first article I wrote for TIG, was about his first game um, after he came out and he scored a goal. And the way that he celebrated on the ice and the way that his teammates gathered around him and the way that they cheered when the announcer introduced him as Harrison for the first time just really sent chills down my spine thinking about the young people that were finally able to see a man like them pursuing what he loved unapologetically and succeeding at it and that I believe the Buttes won the cup that same year and seeing a trip seeing a proud open brave unapologetic transgender man lift the Isabel cup was huge and that's going to resonate long 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 after you know after we stop talking about this yeah um that was god that was that was remarkable it really really, it really really was because the joy the joy on his face when they said his name it's just it's it's impossible to it's impossible to describe and probably my one of my other favorite memories was the live game at the Prudential Center, the PHF game at the, or the NWHL game at the Prudential Center. When I got to meet, I met Mike for the first time in person, and I got to meet Hannah Beavis and Michelle J. And I've been a writer my entire life, and I got into sports writing pretty much completely by accident. Um, when I joined TIG, I joined as an editor and wound up writing. That was never planned, but getting to meet these people who forced me to grow as a writer because they were so good at what they did that it made me want to be better. And they never, they pushed me, but it was never in any sort of toxic way. It was such a loving and encouraging way of you can do this. Your voice is important. Finding that because of the space and because of what the NWHL and the PHF did, it changed my life. It really changed my life for the better in many, many ways. And even though, you know, change is inevitable, things move forward. That's one of the things that I'll always be grateful to the NWHL for was opening up a branch of my voice and my creativity that I didn't know existed and I didn't know could exist. And for the people that it's brought into my life and being able to, being able to share stories like the one about Harrison and 
being able to share stories of players who have never cracked a, ros- a roster of a national team in their lives and who never will, of why this game matters to them, how it's changed their life. That's meant a lot to me, and it still does. This has just become an ocean of feelings. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sitting here and I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk because I'm afraid yeah. my voice is going to crack. Yeah, uh, I got glassy eyes right now. For I mean, it's very much kind of resonates with what both of you said is um, the NWHL coming into existence is why I'm here today. Um, that got me. It was just simple. I was writing about the New York Rangers. There was this team called the New York Riveters. It was professional women's hockey. I'd only watched Olympic women's hockey. I thought it was cool. I said, I'm covering the men's pro team. Why don't I cover the women's pro team? That decision, driving out with my little brother to Brooklyn to watch the Riveters, changed my life. Um, And it's why I now run and somehow own the Ice Garden today. And it's why... YouTube people and dozens more people who have changed my life and made me a better person and a better man. That's where it all started was a simple decision to say, yeah, I want to check this out. Um, there's little moments along the way, meeting people who are going to be in my life forever that this is what brought me to. And there's moments along the way, like celebrating the Riveters Isabel Cup Championship and being told by players that I have to drink out of the cup, even though I was like, I don't know, I'm media. Is that really professional? And, and, and long story short, I drink out of the cup. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, working for the league at a time, thinking that this was something, working in professional women's hockey and then becoming a member of the PHWA and Everything that happened with SB Nation and TIG, and oh my goodness, um, I'm grateful. I mean, I am for all of its bumps and warts and all the problems, all the mistakes and all the frustrating things. I'm very grateful for the PHF. And for me, that's the athletes and that's the people that made it happen. Um, The people who ran the social media accounts, the people who, you know, made sure you had a ticket. People who did the raffles and and were so wonderful at all those rinks that getting to meet those people. And I I know if you're a fan, you're probably going to, these things are going to resonate from the fan perspective. It was a community. We all joined a community. And um, I know it's, like Mayor said, things kind of change. Not everything can last, but uh, what a wonderful, wonderful community it was. and you had something you wanted to add. Yeah, I think I think in there's a lot of sentiment in sports about how it's, you know, whatever sport it might be, it's just a game. And I think I think this conversation has made it really evident that for very many people, a sport like women's hockey, a league like the PHF, a league like the PWHPA, national teams who have gone through boycotts and so much, I think it's very easy to dismiss that as it's just a game. And I don't think that it's ever going to be just a game for the people who care and the people who care about it the right way. I think there are a lot of people who would be very happy to dismiss, you know, feelings 
bittersweet feelings, feelings of loss, feelings of grief, but also feelings of joy. Um, I think there are a lot of people who would love to dismiss that and love to be like, you know, you're all being so dramatic. It's it's really not that big of a deal. But for so many people, um, women's hockey is such a big part of their lives. And, you know, that's that includes people who aren't players, who aren't who aren't coaching staffs, who don't work for teams or for leagues. You know, they're fans. They're there are fans who have put so much time and energy and love and care into not only watching, but growing this game and cultivating relationships with players, with, with coaches, with coaching staffs, with team staff, with other members of the community. And I, I think you would be doing such a huge disservice to minimize the emotional outpouring of, of support and just all the emotional discussions that have arisen after this news. I think it's so disingenuous and so it's such a disservice to just dismiss that by saying it's just a game because we all know it's not. And if you're really a sports fan, if you really care about, you know, your favorite team, your favorite league, you know, it's not just a game. You know that this news, however you see, however you, you know, perceive it, it's, it's big news. It has a really big impact on the game. And I think, I don't think caring about it or caring about the outcome or caring about the players is, a bad thing. I think it shows that, you know, wanting something to be better is is never a bad thing and it just I think there's a lot of discussion about why do you care so much and I think it's it's very easy to get lost in feeling guilty for caring and I don't think we should because like the both yeah. of you mentioned there there's so much good that has come out of this community, out of this sport and out of this league. Um and there's still so much more to come. You know, this is this is just the beginning of something new, something that could be so different, but also has the capacity to be so great for so many people. And I think, well, you know, every every door closing is another door opening. So I'm just I'm hopeful that whatever iteration this next this next league has, it it resonates in the same way with so many people and it it resonates in the same way with so many new people, I think, because everyone should get to experience that joy and that love and that community. Um that we all get to share with each other. That was really beautifully said, Anne. Um, there are a couple other points I wanted to touch on, but I, I don't think I want to now. I think talking about <laughs> what this all meant is a really nice way to kind of wrap up this chat. Um, I didn't really know what to expect from this. I really just wanted to, um, you know, to have a chat. And it's funny that I was originally going to do this with Angelica and Alyssa Turner, and they both had technical difficulties. So, I just scrambled and Mayor and Anne were, were down to do this. And I was like, all right, let's give it a whirl. Um, <laughs> this turned into a really lovely thing. And um, I think, you know, if you're listening to this, you're probably one of those people who loved the PHF. And for you, that meant the players and the community. Because to me, that's what I think of. Um, I think of the people at the rinks and the people online all those people who shared stories and hit retweet and, you know, the half dozen times someone came up to me in a rink and they knew who I was. And I was like, how the hell do you know who I am? Um, <laughs> and they appreciated what we were doing at the ice garden. And um, those things are going to stay with me forever. And uh, I know it's tough for a lot of folks who loved that community. Um, that community won't go anywhere. And don't let anyone tell you 
it's not okay to mourn what we've lost. Um, it's tough, I think, when you see everyone or some folks who are focused only on what comes next. But I think eventually there's going to be room in everyone's heart and mind for both of those things. We can look forward to what this means for the women's game. And we can still say, why did it have to end this way for the PHF? And wasn't there a better way to do this? That doesn't take away from what's going to come next, I think. It just means we're paying respect and acknowledging that we did lose something special. And there was a better way to get to where we are now. That doesn't change where we are now, but holy smokes, we could have used a a better final chapter. Um, I wanted to thank both of you for joining me. You were both tremendous. I love you both to bits. And um, I think that's about it. You have any parting words, Mayor? I don't, other than I think you said it so beautifully in paying homage to the community and paying homage to the people because when you strip sports down, when you strip it of the glamour and the pomp and circumstance and the money, at the heart of it is people. And I think moving forward, the best thing and the most important thing that everyone involved, whether you're fan, media, player, executive, whatever, is keep people at the heart of everything you try to build moving forward. That's what I want to see. And that's what I'm most grateful for. Build a league and something that will love every fan back. That's what I was thinking of when you talked about Harrison, that this was a community that could love Harrison the way Harrison deserved to be loved as a player and as a person. I hope we get there with the new league. Any parting words from you, Anne? No, I think, I think all of you guys said it very beautifully. I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to reflect on and there's a lot to celebrate coming in the future. But I think for now, you know, before, before we have something concrete to celebrate, I think it's okay to take some time to, you know, Feel your feelings. So yeah. I'm a big proponent of feeling your feelings. So. Absolutely. Heck yeah. Feel your feelings. If you got to cry, cry. Stay close to the people. Who, I mean, everyone who cares about this league made relationships and connections that are not going to go away just because there's maybe no more Buttes games. That community doesn't have to go anywhere. Stay close to those people. Um, find reasons to spend time with those people, and you'll find that that connection doesn't go anywhere. And um, we're going to do everything we can to honor that at the Ice Garden because um, I don't think it's a stretch to say there's no Ice Garden at the PHF. And I don't think there's any, there's a league that comes next without the PHF and the advancements it made. It's all part of the story. And we're all part of the story. Um, so thank you for spending just under an hour with us. Thank you both again. You were unbelievable. And, uh, the ice garden isn't going anywhere. We're just going to, you know, have to change some of our tags and reimagine some of the content we're doing. And we're still going to do that women's hockey thing that we do. And we do it for you. Thanks, everybody.